0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Hints and Guesses, my podcast. This is Kent Dobson. It's good to be back behind the mic. I've been gone on and off for the last month, really. I've done four different intensives at Animus Valley Institute in Colorado, uh, founded by Bill Plotkin. He's been on the podcast. You've heard me talk about him before. Anyway, I'm in the guide training program there. I have been for the last five years or so. And so I pandemic sort of shut things down for a while. So I did a bunch of programs back to back, um, or pretty close there. (laughs) Um, and so I'm just now returning and finding my feet and back here in Michigan, chopping wood and I almost said carrying water. Not really, I guess, turning off the, the, the water to my garden. So it doesn't freeze. Um, yeah, and I'm feeling I'm I'm feeling really grateful for my experiences the last month. Uh thanks for being patient with with the podcast. I'm feeling cooked in a in a good way. And um yeah, so that's what I've been up to recently. And today I have a podcast. I'm not sure exactly what the title is going to be, so maybe I should hold off. It, it was originally going to be something like Born for These Times, which is something I'd like to try to Argue for and and argue from a mythic and poetic point of view, not really rationalistic, scientific, post enlightenment kind of argument. Though those are fine; they're great too. Um, anyway, that's kind of the the train I'd like to to wander around in. I want to read a couple poems and I want to try to make a case for. For at least wrestling with the question of what are any of us doing here, and d- do we do we come into the world with a certain shape that wants to be realized, and it's just the right kind of shape? And I'm not being like uh, utopian here. Uh, I'm, 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 we we all come into this life as a mixture of shadow and light of uh, taste and proclivities and darkness and, and gifts and imaginings and wonderings. We come in mixed, something like that. But I have a kind of intuition and belief even that there is a thread and there is a deep thread that, that goes all the way down to source, our own source, what we might call soul, and the trap door to the source. And to feel connected to that thread is to feel like, all right, I, I, I'm born into this into this world for a reason. and and reason isn't even the best word <laughs> for it. I'm born into this world with a certain shape, and with that comes responsibilities and tasks and wonderings and vitality to be lived. So, That's what I want to talk about today. I want to try to talk about that. And maybe just a couple things by way of like heads up. I'm working on another podcast, meaning a whole separate podcast from Hints and Guesses. It's still in the early stages. I'm dreaming it at present. And Hints and Guesses is going to keep going from now until whenever. Eternity. I don't know. Uh, but I, I have a, an, another offering that has more to do with ancient texts, like biblical texts, and that's been kind of working me in a surprising way over the last couple of years, but it's sort of I sort of had a little vision for uh, how to turn some of this stuff into a podcast. So uh, I'll let you know when it comes out, and I'd love for you to listen to it and let me know what you think. So that's coming. And let's see. I have two Israel trips, two planned Israel trips. Israel is now, uh, back open for tourism and one is in March. So coming up pretty quickly and there are some spots. In fact, I need some people to make it happen. So if that interests you and you have the the money and the time right now, uh, send me an email, at gmail.com. You can also find that on my website. Um, but anyway, that's, that's mid-March and the main group is from Denver. Uh, a friend of mine, Michael Hidalgo, he's his, I've done a lot of trips with him. He's a, We've been friends since in the sixth grade, and he's got a church in Denver, and I think this will be their fourth time. I mean, obviously, different people come each time. So that's happening. That's a kind of a, a general—it's it's an intense trip, but uh, it's, uh, I was going to say, a general tour of the land, but meaning desert, Galilee, Jerusalem, a few other spots. And I have uh, one coming in middle of May, and that's for pastors only. People in ministry only, and it's possible there'll be one or two spots for for uh, pastors, a very small group, like 12, and really different kind of trip than I've ever done before. I'm really excited about, it. I've wanted to do something like this for, I don't know, like 10 years, uh, long days, intense, um, all kinds of stuff. So if, but, 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 I don't want to say more about it, but if that interests you and you happen to be in ministry, you can also send me an email, dobsonpilgrimage at gmail.com, and I'll let you know kind of what's possible, and we can go back and forth. So maybe that's all I want to say. Israel trip, potential podcast coming. Um, I will be offering again my Lent Descent course. I offer it every year. That's an online Zoom class. I haven't put it up on my website, but it will go up pretty soon. I know Lent seems kind of far away. We haven't even got to Christmas, but um, yep, that's that's happening. Lent descent, a conversation around descent and around the 40 days in the traditional Christian calendar between um, Jesus's baptism, um, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. These are some of the things that Lent remembers um, and and Easter. So anyway, that's coming. Would love to have you join that especially if you feel like you are entering or about to enter a season of descent, if that word rings a bell for you, that's definitely the course. The, the other class I'm offering right now is an eight-month class on Iron John and the Sacred Masculine. That's totally full. That filled up almost right away, and I barely even said anything about it, so that tells me something's in the water. People want to talk about the Sacred Masculine. So I'll start looking for, uh, I don't know if I'll do Iron John, but another class around the, the Sacred Masculine. Maybe I will use that book. By the way, that's a myth, Iron John, and and also the name of a book by Robert Bly, who's the one who's done the most work, I think, contemporary work with this with this myth. Fantastic, freaking book. Read it, regardless of your gender. Read it. Uh, Iron John um, is the name of that book. So um, I feel like that's enough uh, intro stuff. I do want to begin with a poem, and it's a poem. I, if I'm sure I've even read on this podcast before, it is one of my favorites. It's a David White poem, and it's called uh, What to Remember When Waking. And it, on the one hand, it's a poem about what to remember when you get up in the morning, which seems like the a good a good idea to be reminded of what you need to remember when you wake up. And memory, by the way, is from the Greek point of view, is connected to a river in the underworld. That to remember something is to be connected to the underworld stream, which has the same meaning as truth itself. That truth, from the Greek point of view, and and really the Greek in the biblical um, worldview, or worldviews, you could say, because they're not, um, they're different they're related but different, really form the spine of Western culture. They're deeply embedded. If you are from the Western world, it's deeply embedded in there, and it's really important to explore our own roots when it comes to worldview. Um, but that's, that's another podcast for another time. But my, my point is, what to remember when waking is, is like saying, winking at, what's to be remembered is the truth the river of deep memory. Here's the poem. In that first hardly noticed moment in which you wake, coming back to this life from the other more secret, movable and frighteningly honest world, where everything began, there is a small opening into the new day. In that first hardly noticed moment in which you wake, coming back to this life from the other more secret, movable and frighteningly honest world, where everything began. There is a small opening into the new day which closes the moment you begin your plans. What you can plan is too small for you to live. What you can plan is too small for you to live. What you can live wholeheartedly will make plans enough for the vitality hidden in your sleep. To be human is to become visible while carrying what is hidden as a gift to others. To remember the other world in this world is to live your true inheritance. You are not a troubled guest on this earth. You are not a troubled guest on this earth. You are not an accident amidst other accidents. You are not an accident amidst other accidents. You were invited from another and greater night than the one from which you have just emerged. Now, looking through the slanted light of the morning window toward the mountain presence of everything that can be, what urgency calls you to your one love? What shape waits in the seed of you to grow and spread its branches against a future sky? Is it waiting in the fertile sea, in the trees beyond the house, in the life you can imagine for yourself, in the open and lovely white page? on the writing desk. So, what do I want to say? I want to say you are not an accident amidst other accidents. I want to say you are not a troubled guest on this earth. Maybe to pick on some cultural Um, toxins, Uh, you're not a cancer on this earth. That's a kind of cultural toxin at present, that actually what's wrong with everything is human beings. And I am not uh, naive. Human beings are causing tremendous suffering to themselves and to the earth and harming Bioregions and biospheres and waterways and uh, soil um, and and air and ice and rain. We have an effect on the earth. I, I I realize that, and and perhaps our consciousness about exactly what kind of effect we're having is the great task of the 21st century. And and at the same time, I refuse to conclude that human beings are, are the problem and, and, and the cancer. I, I don't think so. I love what Thomas Berry says about human consciousness, that human consciousness and human beings and the human, human experiment, you could say, is, is the dream of the earth. It's the dream of the earth becoming conscious of itself. It's a kind of un. Believably staggering miracle that any of us are here, and that we have something that we fancily call consciousness, self reflect a self reflexive capacity to not only to to not only to to gaze within, um, and to and to look in the mirror, uh, but to become conscious of of life itself. And impermanence and time. I mean, what a strange dream that the earth had for earth's self. And I just want to agree with David White. You are not an accident amidst other accidents. You came from a greater night than the one from which you just emerged from sleep, he means. And you're not a troubled guest. Life is troubling. I think that's as um, true of a statement as anyone can make. Life is filled with troubles, in fact. But you're not a troubled guest. Instead, you belong here in some way. Oftentimes I feel a kind of low-level grief about the state of affairs. Like, I'll read something on the news and, and my first reaction is anger. And my second reaction is, more anger. (laughs) Then after a while, I can feel occasionally an upwelling of grief, like, how did we get here? Why are we treating people this way? Um, Why are we treating the very planet that gives us um, meaning and nourishment with such disregard? It's it's like a low level grief, and and I, and I look at the state of of education and um, and our own kids and my own kids, and and the state of affairs when it comes to <laughs> I almost said the swamp of Washington. You know, Trump was right about that. You know, and just behind the anger is is some grief and the loss of our our narratives and um the suspicion around words and behind that i feel a little grief and 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 i think it's easy to slip into a kind of nihilistic despair especially when we're bombarded with numbers like trillions of dollars of debt i mean we we tell we would tell our own kids don't go into debt and that's all we know how to do as a collective—trillions of dollars of debt, of m- made-up numbers on a computer screen. Um, and anyway, my, my main point was, the, but was the the astronomical numbers involved and things like <laughs> this morning I heard on the news about the projected increase in global temperatures and there was something just like artificial about it like a number a number that really really for very few of us on the planet computes to anything real like i don't even know what a trillion dollars is i don't really know what two point one degree Celsius increase in global temperatures means. I really do not know what that means. I don't know what that means for um, the north coast of Morocco, which I've been to, or the deserts of Jordan, or rural Georgia, where my family's from, or the shores of Lake Michigan, I re I I don't think and maybe none of us really know knows what that means and that, that that and a kind of like blankness can come over us a kind of uh despair a kind of meaninglessness and covid numbers are kind of like that too inundated with statistics and data and all hyped up or underhyped depending on who's doing the The hyping. And to hear something like, you are not a troubled guest on this earth. You are not an accident amidst other accidents. And there's something, um, you know, I'm going to be pretty honest for a second about my own spiritual trajectory. I've a hard time saying that word. Um, Trajectory. Yes, there we go. I'm going to admit something that, I don't know if I've admitted on this podcast, I barely admitted it to myself, but I think I had a kind of assumption that what I would call spiritual growth, I might say psycho-spiritual or psychological growth, look like, for the most part, I don't know if I would have admitted this so directly, but I'm going to right now, look like moving from right to left, from kind of organized, closed borders and doctrines and statements and beliefs and a kind of rigidity to greater openness and freedom and and being progressive, and that's the nature of the spiritual path. And not only do I think that that's not true, I, I, I should just say that's not been true in my life. And I thought like the path was going to be, you know, from, I don't know if I was ever a conservative Christian because I grew up in a, in a ultra fundamentalist environment and I had my suspicions and doubts, which I carried sometimes openly and sometimes with a lot of shame, uh, both. Um, but definitely that was where I grew up to, you know, kind of changing my mind about certain views of the Bible and changing my mind about certain theological concepts and changing my mind about who's in and who's out and changing my mind and, you know, moving in the more progressive direction. And I thought, well, I can see where this is going. Soon I'll be, like, a basic humanist at the, at the end of this. And, and even the word humanism, like, it was attractive to me. And, you know, I got fired from a, from a, a Christian school. Uh, I was a, a Bible teacher there after I did a program of the Discovery Channel about the historical Jesus that they didn't like. And, uh, and um, you know, I went to the library, like, almost like licking my wounds as a kind of victim and, you know, checked out a Dawkins book on, this is back in the days when you could get books on CD. I don't even know if they have those anymore. And I had a CD player in my car. And, um, you know, I was like, well, I guess I'm out now. Um, and time to become an atheist. It didn't stick. It didn't stick in the same way that fundamentalist Christianity didn't stick. Um, But my main point right this second is that the path toward, you know, scientific materialism, which I thought was in store for people who leave religion, is just not the path that I took. In fact, in some respects, I'm becoming much more open to the mysterious, the mystical, the numinous the paradoxical the mythic than ever before and and i'm it's like i'm surprising myself <laughs> and things like the scientific materialistic worldview that says something like you're an accident amidst other accidents it's just a random collision of particles of which we overlay um a linguistic structure that is inherently meaningless feels like a black hole to me, and not the path forward. And I'm not, you know, I think atheism has, um, and scientific materialism, of course, has many gifts to offer. It's it, it's part of what sharpens culture and ideas and and rationality, and and we need the we need the we need the friction. Um, I have no problem when 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 people want to talk about brain chemistry just after talking about mystical experience, I think, okay, that's on the table. Let's talk about brain chemistry. Let's talk about what happens. Let's talk about, let's describe scientifically what's happening. But um, for me to conclude at the end of the day that it's just random collision of particles um, feels nihilistic. And just to me, that's the way it feels. And I think no part of that mentality and idea and even ideology, you could call it, robs life of what's sacred. And we need more of the sacred. And that's what I think David White is trying to say here. What is really worth remembering? What about the secret world? What about the night that birthed you? What do you mean? I just came into the world and I'm gone by biological accident. And I say, well, call it what you will. It's definitely a luminous pause between two great mysteries. That's a line from Jung, meaning birth and death. Life is a luminous pause between two great mysteries, birth and death. So you're here and you have a certain kind of uh, reflexive consciousness and then there's death. Um, But this there's a clue in this poem that's very ancient and trans-religious, really. And that is, something wanted you to be here. The night, in a sense, was conscious of you and brought you forth, called you forth into the world. You know, um, there's a Wordsworth poem. He says, uh, Our birth is is but a sleep and a forgetting. (laughs) Our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. Like, forgetting what? Like, well, in a way, I think he's saying it's forgetting what mystery is bringing us forth. As if, and I'm not trying to make some kind of theological claim, really, that you existed before you existed. I don't know. But I'm saying there's a mythopoetic clue here that um, that I think is important and is a unique part of, of what gives human beings a sense of meaning and purpose. Anyway, he goes on, our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. The soul that rises with us, our life's star, again, a very old idea that the soul kind of our wildly unique shape functions like a star. Like the North Star, it's it guides us in some way. I'm going to say more about this in a, in a second. But the soul that rises with us, our life's soul star, sorry, hath had elsewhere its setting. That's like, that's like the Buddhist phrase the the, the face you had before you were born. And scientific, post enlightenment rationalism says. Hey that's a cute poem and all cute little saying wisdom saying there's not really much there it's an it's an illusion all we have are atoms and chemicals and the poet says no i don't think so so the soul that rises with us our life's star hath had elsewhere its setting and cometh from afar not in entire forgetfulness, almost as if we're remembering something as we come into the world, and not in utter nakedness, though there's a kind of nakedness, not in utter nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come. That's the famous line from Wordsworth. But trailing clouds of glory do we come. See, to me, maybe there are two ways you could take this You could take it in a kind of narcissistic way, like, look how awesome I am. I'm like, here I am, trailing clouds of glory. I don't think at all that's what the poem really is inviting us into. It's inviting us into a kind of of wonderful, life-giving humility. None of us cooked ourselves up and brought us forth. It's as if we came into the world... Trailing clouds of glory, our ancestors, even our actual ancestors—mom and dad and grandpa and grandpa and grandpa and grandma—and and on down the line, peering into the darkness of a fading line. And how did any of us get here? Trailing clouds of glory, yeah. Trailing also clouds of of trauma and hardship and difficulty and trial and. And also gifts and beauty and union and love and forgiveness and grace and wonder and, and deep participation in the earth that sustains us all. Yeah, that's part of the clouds of glory. <laughs> um, the dust cloud behind us as we stumble into the world. It's like, I don't know, maybe you've heard Michael Mead talk about this. But he makes a big deal about fate and destiny, and he says fate are, is like the things we can't do anything about. We're just born into the family we're born into, with the mom and dad we have, with the with the skin color and the the social stratification we find ourselves in, and the language and the culture, and uh, loads of Greek stories, like that of story, for example, is is really a conversation about fate. What are the things that we can't do anything about? But inside, sort of the the Greek mindset, fate was. Thought to be something like a pressure cooker or a container, or a cauldron, and yeah, there are things you can't do anything about. But in the midst of all that, as the cauldron gets stirred, you get glimpses occasionally of your destiny, and it's almost as if fate itself creates the destiny. It's like like the Rosa Parks story, like how did this woman, and she wasn't the only one, by the way, that refused to to The the tradition was already established, though not well known, of refusing to move on the bus. She didn't invent it. But at just the right time, at just the right moment, with her disposition and her place in the world, something like a star is born. Something like the soul that rises with us, our life star, comes into focus, and that's what the Greeks meant by destiny. It's not inevitable it's like a like a constellation appearing in the sky at just the right time, and just enough clarity, and just enough uh, of a of a light is lit, and that's what Michael Mead says. He says, when we're born, it's from an old myth. When we're born, um, one angel lights the candle that is our destiny, and it it burns. The soul burns alive in the womb, and just before we come into the world, through the the wild. Um, instinctual uh, um, and terribly beautiful act of childbirth from, from our mother. Just before we come into the world, another angel blows the candle out. <laughs> like Wordsworth saying, we come in forgetting something, you know. And what we forget is, is that destiny. Another way of saying it, if I use soul oriented language, especially the way we, we like to use soul at, at Animus. Um, which is something like, well, this is one of Bill Placken's many definitions of soul, but an ecological niche that we belong, we fit somewhere. It's a niche. Or I might say, our, we're shaped in a certain way. and And it is a process of recovering or discovering. So we get a glimpse in the womb, the angel blows out the candle, but as we move through life, fate and circumstance and trial and error and love and loss and betrayal and every once in a while the the candle of of our own destiny is lit and it's like okay we're not an accident amidst other accidents and we step more fully into who we are and and what we might be offering um the world as a way of being and i guess one reason why i'm mentioning that is because to make the claim you were born for these times is very radical it's saying not only are you not an accident but your unique shape which comes from your ancestors both good and ill all right um one of the uh, when i was um when i was out west in one of the programs there was we spent a morning just talking and working with with what we could call our ancestors, using our deep imagination. And it was interesting, because in my kind of deep imagination experience, I also, it's like um, the dark side of my own ancestors also appeared. It wasn't like uh, all roses and gardening and, you know, only taking from the land exactly what you need. No, there, there, there was also tribalism. And warfare and these are things that just were spontaneously kind of appearing in my imagination and and afterwards I thought yep that's that's what it's like our our spiritual and psychological DNA if there is such a thing contains um, a lot of complexity but my point is um, we come into the exact place we are in the world in the 21st century with our given ancestors, and we're born to solve and wrestle with the problems that were that are actually here right now. We're equipped well enough to turn our consciousness and our spirituality and our prayer and our grief and our love to the great tasks that we face. And I don't just mean like, you know, we have to solve all global problems. I just mean the everyday ordinary tasks of raising kids and, and making a living and, um, and watching out for your neighbors and, um, and the, whether or not your own drinking water starting there is, is safe. You know, I I grew up in Rockford, Michigan. And if you know anything about Rockford and what's been happening in, in, with Wolverine worldwide, the shoe company, you know, in the 1970s, they severely poisoned the very well that I drank from as a kid. And I, I don't know if there will be consequences for that down the road but there for other people who lived in this part of the world in, in Belmont, Michigan, you know they've had all kinds of uh, various cancers and so forth. so um, it's like real world contemporary problems yes, and we're also born to face these and to bring as much of our full self the way we're gifted with our dispositions our our um, our intuitions, the shape we are, like David White is saying in the poem, what uh, shape, what does he say? Let me, let me pull up the poem here. Um, what shape waits in the seed of you to grow and spread its branches against a future sky? What shape waits in the seed of you? That's interesting, because it's like the seed image, I think, is pointing to the deeper self or the soul, or even one's destiny. What's waiting there? To grow and spread its branches against a future sky, to become human—in other words, to become visible, a visible human, carrying this secret and seed-like and soul, way of being into the world—and that's that's a challenging and perilous discovery, you know. A lot of my work at Animus is really about the journey of soul initiation. That's that's what the guide training is about. It's not it's not, um, you know, how to light fires with a stick, you know. It's not that kind of wilderness program it's uh although those are cool um, yeah what 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 Plotkin would call the journey of soul initiation, which is just a contemporary way of talking about something that's as old as time and and maybe what Jung called the transition from the first half of life to the second half of life, which is perilous and dangerous and destabilizes the ego and and um all of our sub personalities and complexes suddenly are demanding attention and and it's challenging, and, and much of our culture screams, just go back to sleep. Shut your mouth, go back to sleep, be the ego that you think you are. There's nothing down there. So it's, it's important and dangerous and lovely and challenging work. Um, but even in hearing, you're born for these times, I can already feel the tug of discovering possibly what that might mean what what would that really mean what if you took your life that seriously what if you took your own spirituality that seriously your own psychological and spiritual well-being that seriously and said not only do I come in trailing clouds of glory I'm happy to even be here I don't even know how I survive especially given my you know neurotic parents and my you know um, neurotic culture it's something like all right yeah but I'm here and uh, what is the unique shape that's waiting in the seat of me that wants to be born into the world to make even the smallest contribution to a more generative and life-enhancing um, human presence? And God, I don't care if you're conservative or liberal, don't you want a more life-enhancing and generous human presence on the world? Yes, I don't think any, no one in their right mind would really disagree with that. So, yeah, my my suggestion, my hint, my guess, is that we are, in fact, born for these times. It's like the old idea that the soul chooses the time in which it's to be born. And, you know, contemporary people don't like that. It sounds too woo-woo. But it's actually quite old. It's a Greek idea, and it's also in Hinduism, that at just the right time, the soul whatever that means, our own ecological niche that preceded our own existence says, yep, now, now. You know, <laughs> that sounds like um, almost risky to believe because to take the risk to believe something like that or even wonder if something like that might be true, it means we should take our our life more seriously. And um and it is a direct challenge to the, the the terribly toxic idea that human beings are a cancer on the earth, that we're just a series of random particles. You wonder why the suicide rates in the Western world are, are skyrocketing, especially among young girls. You, we ought to shake in our boots and ask, what the hell is going on? And what do we need to take responsibility for? And our veterans, we, we've known this for a while, uh, among among all the groups and categories in the United States are the most likely to end their own life. And these are people that we said to, in good faith, go and fight our battles for us. You know, my, my brother's in the military. He's been to Iraq twice and deployed elsewhere. And and he knows firsthand um, how suicide is a plague inside our military and you know i can feel the grief even as i'm speaking like jesus like how do we get here and the stories we tell ourselves about why we're here and what we're up to matter so <laughs> i'm trying to express a kind of deep mytho poetic truth that we're born for these times I think it's connected to the deep river of memory, is my my guess, and and we're asked by some great mystery not just to survive in this world, but but to find a kind of sacred dance. In the way we move, and in the words we speak, and in the jobs that we take, and um, in the projects that we wrestle with, and leave unfinished at times and the way we cry or, or lament or observe or listen, you know, n- none of this fits on a CV. This is not a resume. I'm not talking about a resume. I'm talking about a sacred dance connected to the thread of your own soul and um, taking that, <laughs> at the very least, as seriously as you might take, you know, um, getting the, quote, the right kind of job. Um, even in my own life, the, the, the clues about the sacred dance that I feel called into, um, and some of it has to do with unfinished business from, from my own ancestors. You know, my, my dad was a preacher. My grandpa was a preacher. I don't know even how far back that goes, but the idea that, that I would be having to wrestle with religion and spirituality and prayer and the Bible is like, okay, well, you know, I was born, um, These are the clouds, trailing clouds of that kind of trouble. Um, You know, I'm not coming into this world as a blank slate from a spiritual and psychological point of view, not to mention biological point of view. So, um, yeah, and so I have my own wrestling match um, around what's sacred. That's probably the best way of putting it. And, and, and I'm not, and, and in some ways I'm just, I'm taking the baton from even some of my direct ancestors, but going all the way back to, I don't know, Irish Celtic spirituality, which never was really Romanized, was always sort of nature-based. Um, and these are things that I've always felt at home in, you know, the kind of conversation around God and nature. This is, I was never comfortable inside a church, you could say. And anyway, some of my own clues about the sacred dance have come through the old paths like dreams and visions and whispers and fasting and moments of inspiration and failures to pray and deep conversations where love is present with other human beings and ordinary daily life and being shaped by a kind of unseen hand like the wrestlers of the Old Testament to quote Rilke. So um, maybe we ought to end with Rilke, just a little bit from a man watching. My, one of my favorite poems is the, the near the end of it. What is extraordinary and eternal does not want to be bent by us. What is extraordinary and eternal does not want to be bent by us. Like, for example the thread of the soul, the, the holy and sacred mystery of our own being coming from the greater night. What is extraordinary and eternal does not want to be bent by us. I mean the angel who appeared to the wrestlers of the Old Testament. When the wrestlers sinews grew long like metal strings he felt them under his fingers like chords of deep music god it's like we're wrestling and we're being wrestled we're being played by the holy and the sacred it's like the sinews of our own body um are being plucked by by the sacred I want to be in that kind of wrestling match. That that kind of wrestling match is part of how we discover what we might call the sacred dance that is our life. Whoever has been beaten by this angel, who often simply declined the fight, went away proud and strengthened and great from that harsh hand. I mean, what what a beautiful irony, you could say, that What's harsh and challenging and breaks us down, and to use contemporary language, um, challenges the ego, also begins to shape us in a certain way. Whoever was beaten by this angel went away proud and strengthened and great from that harsh hand that needed him, K-N-E-A-D, that kind of need, that needed him like bread as if to change his shape. Winning does not tempt that man. This is how he grows, by being defeated decisively by constant, constantly greater beings. We live in an era where our own egos need to be dethroned. Instead of God or the gods or superstition, we have placed the human ego at the the, the pinnacle of of truth. And the the ancient path um, calls for a wrestling match that dethrones that ego and reshapes that ego and needs that ego like like bread dough in into its true shape. Into a shape that can serve the soul and, and and serve the mysteries and and serve a generative and life-giving and transpersonal future for our offspring and for the other beings of this planet. And winning, the clue is, you know when you're doing a kind of sacred dance, you know when you when you are really living into the truth of being born for this time when winning doesn't tempt you anymore. And that's simply not what it's about. And instead, we allow ourselves to be defeated by the sacred and by the mysterious, and by the numinous, um, and by our own kids, <laughs> and and by the, by the great complexes, uh, com- complex realities of of the world we find ourselves in, but to be defeated decisively by something greater than who we are, and it's kind of in this the strange paradox of this kind of defeat that we really um, are can be of service in the world and the destiny and the light of our own soul really begins to shine and, and be a kind of, of needed and life giving presence in the world. So that's what I wish for you today. Um, thanks for listening to this podcast. And again, I can't thank my, my patron supporters enough. You make this thing happen. Thanks for throwing me your questions and ideas from time to time. Thanks for your support. Um, and the rest of you, thanks for, for spending time with this podcast and sharing it with people. Um, it makes a difference, and the podcast is still growing, so um, can't thank you enough. Peace.